0: Good afternoon. It's Tuesday, May 9th, 2017, at 1 o'clock Eastern Time, and this is Advancement Live. I'm your host, Andrew Gosen. On today's live broadcast, we are going to continue the focus on data and analytics that you've seen over the past couple of episodes. But today, we are shifting our attention to email. Email, you might ask. Isn't email over? Shouldn't we be talking about Snapchat or chatbots or something new and shiny? The answer is no. Email hasn't gone anywhere. It isn't going anywhere. It's still the backbone of most engagement and solicitation programs. But we're also working in an environment that is full of spam, phishing, and questionable email scams. In fact, just this afternoon, I received a request for assistance from a bank manager in Burkina Faso who needs help getting $15 million out of the country. That kind of static in the background impedes our ability to communicate with our audiences, Um, But at the same time, we have to acknowledge that sometimes the problem lies on our side, and undisciplined email strategies and careless content creation lead to our shooting ourselves in the foot. Data and email analytics can help you understand where you're doing well and where you might need help um, so that you can optimize your email performance, and that is going to be the focus of today's episode. But before we dive into that topic, let me give a quick shout out to our sponsors. Advancement Live is part of the Higher Ed Live Network. Our episodes offer you direct access to the best and brightest minds in higher education. Be a part of our live broadcasts by sharing your knowledge. Participate in today's discussion by tweeting us using the Higher Ed Live hashtag. All of our episodes are free and easy to access in the video archives at higheredlive.com or you can take Higher Ed Live with you on the go by subscribing to the podcast. Today's episode is made possible by iModules. We just tweeted out a link to a white paper from iModules modules with seven tips to help boost your email open rate, gleaned from nearly 200,000 emails sent by higher education institutions. Higher Ed Live is produced by M. Stoner, a digital-first agency committed to tailored solutions that drive real results. Trusted by thousands of higher ed professionals, M. Stoner webinars are jam-packed with timely, strategic, and actionable knowledge. Check out their library of on-demand content from digital storytelling to myth-busting websites. We are tweeting out a link right now. With that, let me introduce today's guests. First up is Debbie Earle. Debbie is Communications Manager in Cornell's Division of Alumni Affairs and Development. Her career at Cornell spans 20 years leading marketing efforts that leverage both digital and print channels to execute effective campaigns. She has expertise in email channel management, cross-channel marketing, direct mail, creative services, and communication strategies for broad-based engagements. She thinks creatively, plans strategically, and executes effectively. Debbie has spent the last five years implementing email industry standards and effective processes for continued channel improvement for the Office of Alumni Affairs and Development at Cornell. Debbie is joined today by Mirko Widenhorn, a strategic consultant at iModule Software. Prior to joining iModules, Mirko worked in higher education for 11 years, most recently at Wilkes University as the Director of Alumni Relations and Annual Giving. So people on the institution side, Mirko feels our pain. At iModules, Mirko concerts with clients, consults with clients to help them increase constituent engagement and to meet their strategic goals with Encompass. He received his doctorate in higher education administration from Wilkes University looking at whether giving differs based on participation in different types of alumni programming. So if you were looking to put together a resume of somebody who could help an institution understand how their email campaigns are actually impacting engagement and fundraising, that is the kind of resume you'd be looking for uh, in, a, in a partner on the uh, the vendor side. So Debbie and Mirko, welcome so much to the show today. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. So let's dive on in Um, for those of you out there in the audience. Don't hesitate to ask questions using the hashtag HigherEdLive, and I will do my best to ask your questions as they come on in. So let's get started. One of the challenges with a topic like email analytics on an online platform such as this is that you never know quite how experienced the people who may be viewing the episode are. Um, so I've asked Mirko and Debbie to kick us off with a quick overview of the basics of email anal- analytics, and we are going to start with, with Mirko. Uh, Mirko, uh, please uh, share with us your thoughts on on what are the most important things for people to think about, and know, when they're talking about email analytics.
1: So let's start with the basics to begin with. Things like the open rate, the click rate, the bounce rate, and the click to open rate. So hopefully many of you are looking at those already on a somewhat regular basis, especially when it comes to the open rate and the click rate. That should be pretty easy to see across your emails. Uh, But then the bounce rate is also important because that tells you uh, the percentage of emails that are actually arriving at people's inboxes and are not bouncing back because of invalid messages. So it tells you how clean your list is and, and how strong your email list is. And then we get to things like the click to open rate. And that's something that I find that that some schools aren't looking at as as much. And the click to open rate tells you how engaging your content is or can tell you how engaging your content is. If you haven't calculated that, you take your number of unique clicks divided by your number of unique opens. Uh, And again, it's only looking at the population that's opening your email. So those are the ones that have the opportunity to click on the email, which makes it different from just the click rate. So as I mentioned, it can talk to the level of engagement of your content, but it might also lead you to see that you maybe you don't have enough links in the communications that you're sending out. So those are just some basic stats. Uh, One more thing to add is that emails will perform differently. So an e-newsletter is likely to have a higher uh, open rate and a higher click-to-open rate than an event email, which has more of a singular purpose. So again, things to keep in mind as you're starting to look at those stats. And then as we go through today, you'll see some uh, more advanced stats to look at, uh, things like the reach rate, which looks at the percentage of constituents who open at least one of your communications. But we'll get into those a little bit later in the episode.
0: Thanks, Mirko. And Debbie, let's hand the baton over to you. At this point, you're ready to show us some examples that illustrate these basic data points that Marco was referencing, right?
2: I am. I am. I'm going to share my screen. And what we started looking at right off the bat was, as Marco just mentioned, a viewing of all the different types of emails that we're sending, right down to also the sizes of the audience that we're sending to. Um, And I've kind of highlighted the things that we started out looking at, because in the beginning, we weren't paying much attention, of course. Um, But here we are with some nice data um, from some of our... Our messages in the the social channel, as in um, maybe we are inviting people to a reunion event versus a webinar versus um, we have a newsletter here that we send to our entire um, uh, alumni database, and we started kind of looking at our open rates. Okay, well, how is that in comparison to everyone else? so you've got here at the top of the channel here or the top of the page, it's got a 41% open rate. Um but then, as you glean down to the bottom of the page is 22 percent. And then we started also paying attention to our unsubscribes. Um, we had some emails that were uh, had a lot of unsubscribes, and that kind of worried us. So first off, just you know, the overall view. and then uh, we dug down into well, what does this mean? Let's look at an email that we are currently doing and, what's happening with that email, and how much our our people are engaging with it. And that gets into the clicks. On the right-hand side of the screen, you'll see clicks versus unique clicks. Um, So we were trying to compare, like, who's actually clicking on the register link, who's actually clicking on the see who's coming. Um, So interesting data points that we would see sometimes is that actually people were clicking on the see who's coming link more than the register here. And sometimes that can be a great thing for you, and then other times you're like, "But I really want you to register." Um, so we had to ask ourselves questions about how many links that we're putting in in an email. Are we making our subject line really clear as a call to action? Because when I see this email, okay, we've got whoops, we've got some great. Um, okay open rates, but what is happening in the conversion side, which is the far right-hand side of the page, we have zero conversions. So that tells me that we're not being very clear of what our call to action is. Even though we have a register here in the sample email on the left, we're not showing a button. And then I also looked at the subject line. And I'm like, okay, the subject line for this particular email is next week, next working for career success webinar well that's great but that's a very informative subject line and not an actionable subject line so that is something that we we really needed to to work on and and focus on and of course Marco talked about the bounce rate we also watch that to see you know if we're being successful in that way and most of the time our delivery rate is pretty high 99 to 100%, so that never seems to be a concern for us. But that's just an overview of what what we look at and what's important to us. And in this case, you can actually see there's seven unsubscribes with this email.
0: So Debbie, is, is seven unsubscribes a number that that you view as average? Is that alarming? Is that something so low that you don't need to worry about it? How do you interpret a number like that?
2: It is so low that I don't tend to worry about it. I have to compare it to the delivered number of emails. But in the um, screen beforehand, on this right-hand side, when we start talking 670, and I know the percentage says zero, but I do kind of watch that number and go, wait a minute, why are we getting that many number? You know, it might not be a high percentage, but the number. Does kind of worry me because when we're talking, you know, database, if they're opting out, we're we're losing them and what kind of rate are we losing them at? And it would be very difficult to get them back.
0: So Mirko, I think this is pointing to towards a question I'd love for you to address if you'd be willing to. How does an individual um, emailer or email manager know if these absolute numbers are, are good, bad, or neutral? Can you talk to us a little bit about the art of interpreting these statistics?
1: Well, I think you hit on the key point, Andrew. It is really an art. There is no black and white when you look at these stats. Debbie just alluded to that a little bit, that seven unsubscribes for that email means nothing. And seven unsubscribes generally is not a big deal. But if you have, let's say, you have 50 unsubscribes and you you sent the email to 500 people, that would be an issue. So I think the key thing to keep in mind is it's One, it's important to look at it in context of that email. And even more importantly, it's uh, also key to look at it globally in terms of all of the emails that you're sending out. Uh, So looking at these types of rates over time is going to start really helping you to understand what's going on. Uh, So I would say be very careful of reacting to one email communication and the rates are based on one email communication because that could lead you down a wrong path. But if you look at them over a three month period uh, and you compare that period to the previous three month period or you compare that three month period to the previous year of the same period, that starts to tell you um, how your email metrics are changing over time. And then if you're seeing a large drop in your open rates Uh, or in your click rates, your click to open rates compared to that previous period, then it's, I think, time to to be a little bit concerned and to look more closely at what is happening with the email communications. Is it subject line related? Is it number of links, et cetera? Um, But I would would caution you not to overreact to one email or the metrics in one email communication Um, because you could have just sent it at a bad time of day if they were bad metrics. Um, If they were really strong open rates, Sure, see if you can learn from that, but there's no guarantee that the next email you send to that group will have open rates that are as high as that. Uh, so again, it's it's very much an art, uh, and uh, it's helpful to look at a, a, just a single communication to get a sense of, of how things are going.
0: Thanks. So that actually leads elegantly into the next topic I wanted to tackle. Um, so I think you've, you've described really nicely uh, The fact that you simply have to look at a range of your emails and a range of different types of emails to get an accurate sense as to the the importance and the impact of some of the numbers that you're seeing. Um, One of the things that I always think about when I, I am participating in conversations about data and analytics is that one of the unique aspects of working in this digital environment is that we have data coming at us in enormous volumes from every point of the compass. Um, all of us have that, uh, but what many of us don't have is somebody who has both the mandate in terms of their job description as well as the time to actually sit down and think about what that fire hose of data actually means. Um, and that strikes me as a, as a tragically missed opportunity because if we don't have somebody who's investing time and energy and thought in interpreting the data and then deriving insights from the data, we may as well not have the data at all um, for all the 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 basic pragmatic use that we're getting out of it. Um, Debbie, could you talk to us a little bit about how responsibility for email analytics is handled in Cornell Alumni Affairs and Development?
2: Yes. Um, About a year and a half ago, we kind of started this arc, this beginning of really looking at what we were doing. Um, Before 2016, it was every, every program area was in charge of creating their own content, creating their own emails within the previous system. And what we realized is when we moved into iModules, we probably really needed to take a bigger look and try to help ourselves coming up with some standards. And to way to do that when you're talking a very large organization that we have here, and I, I know there's lots of other <laughs> higher ed universities out there in the same boat as we are, um, is to try to narrow that. And what we did is we created a team of 10 people that actually create the emails working with the different program areas. And what the benefit of that was, one, of course, you then have a smaller team to make sure that they know how to use the tool. But more importantly, you could actually educate this group to then educate the the program areas that they're working with. And so we can all kind of begin thinking about what are the best practices, how should we be um, setting up our emails, segmenting properly, and... Of course, looking at the data. Um, because as we were before in the Wild Wild West a little bit, it was harder. Not everybody would look at the data. Not everybody, it was not important to them. But what we've realized is that it is important and that we have to kind of take care of this channel. Um, so this team of 10 was realigned to actually help all of our program areas create their emails and send them out and then help them understand the data that they were looking at. What does it mean? Okay, well, when you just blast out an email, right, it might not be the most effective thing to do, and you can see that sometimes in some of that data. So um, I've been charged to try to help educate the team of 10 so the team of 10 can then educate all the program areas that they work with. And along the way, uh, of course, is when we realized, Okay, we can't do everything, and that we do need another someone to help us look at all of our data, which is, of course, where our modules did help us to do that, and, and look at our data deep dive into the system instead of just single emails or
0: So just a point of clarification. Are you saying that you have a, a team of 10 dedicated people who do nothing but email, or is this in addition to their other responsibilities? in
2: addition to their other responsibilities, but some of them, actually, we have about... 20% of their jobs are dedicated to the emails. So the other 80% is maybe program-specific, obviously. It has nothing to do with email. But those okay. technical people have a percentage of their job
0: doing this. And what percentage of the emails that are being sent out, either with the assistance of or by members of this team, um, have someone looking at the analytics? Is it 100% or are you, are you working towards that?
2: We're working towards that, as you know. You know, not everyone thinks that's all important. So we have some program areas that are really into it, and they're watching every unsubscribe. and And I have a program area that works with volunteers, and they actually look at every every time an email goes out. They look at their data, and they're actually contacting some of their volunteers. You have to be careful that can spam law, but. We have, um, you know, volunteers that are accidentally unsubscribing. They're not realizing, well, if you do that, then you're not hearing from your board. So that's really good um, customer service, I think, and not everyone can do that, (laughs) but this really works for them. Um, But we certainly have other program areas that, you know, might listen to the data. So that's been a culture change that we've had to try to instill and try to educate people how important it is to um, be thoughtful about their content and the best practices so that we can get an effective message out and not just blasting the world because we certainly we do that we, we can blast and, and not be segmented like we should
0: so that's a really good overview of the staffing solution that made sense in the Cornell context Mirko based on your experience working with a range of clients are there other types of organizational solutions to this need to spend time thinking about the analytics that you encountered
1: Sure. Uh, I think every school does it a little bit differently. Uh, I would say another common approach would be to have one or two dedicated people who do all of the emails. So as opposed to what Debbie was saying, where she has a team of 10 doing 20%, you dedicate one or two full-time people, and they basically do all of your email communications. Um, And that's a relatively popular setup as well, I would say, for some of the larger schools that we work with. Uh, And then they have those point people uh, in place, who uh, understand the best practices similar to Debbie's team, and they will also work with the different programs and units. But really, most emails are generated by those one or two people. Now, I think the downside to that is at times, there can be a lot of emails that these one or two people have to get out. Uh, and then there's not really anybody to to help jump in if if you have a dedicated, couple of dedicated team members who are the only ones really very familiar with uh, the email system that you're using and the the different processes and and procedures that you've put in place for email delivery. Uh, So that's at the larger schools. I think the the smaller schools uh, that might be listening to the episode there, I think it's important to have somebody have a percentage of their time dedicated to email, ideally maximum, I would say, for some of those smaller offices, so maybe one on the annual fund side and one on the alumni relations side, and have those be the ones who do most of the email communications uh, for that institution. Uh, and there it's also about around best practices, but also things like brand consistency and those, those types of elements. Uh, and by having a couple of people that for a percentage of their time, it helps maintain that consistency and communication. I think, in a way, smaller schools have uh, have a leg up on the larger schools like Cornell because there's a small team, and they can figure out when to schedule emails, and it's only two people who are basically doing all of the email sends. So those two people should work together and make sure that they're scheduling emails in a way that makes sense for their um, constituencies, so that they're not hitting uh, the same people twice in a day through their segmentation uh, the larger schools have a little bit more work to do, I think, to to get that calendar figured out and see when emails should be sent. Uh, so, But yeah, those are some of the things that I've seen or some of the recommendations that we would make around, around email um, delivery and creation.
2: Yeah, I would say uh, here, here at Cornell, we definitely still have work to do when you think about the calendar. We have a blackout calendar, but we really need a, a content calendar and um, we're, we're seeing that, so that's kind of on our docket of things to tackle better than we are now. We certainly are not in the worst stage, but, yeah, when we're this big, it is very difficult um, to kind of manage a calendar like that and, and what's the best solution.
0: Thanks. Yeah, I, that was a, a great overview. And I think, as, in, as is the case in so many situations, um, a, a solution that doesn't actually, isn't implementable, in your context isn't really a solution at all. And uh, there there are many ways to skin the proverbial cat here. And what's important is figuring out the way that works for you and that delivers good results for your audience. So let's pivot now to a a much more detailed example um, of a a campaign that in the, uh, not a campaign, a particular email that in the Cornell context was unusually successful and talk through that and then start thinking about what are the actual insights that we can derive from analyzing that type of an email, that can then be applied um, to the broader the broader email effort. Um, so, Debbie, do you want to you want to walk us through this uh, example from Cornell Giving Day, twenty seventeen?
2: Yeah, that'd be great. Um, so, just to kind of tiny recap, you know, it's Giving Day. I think most most universities either are doing them or know about what a Giving Day is. You know, one, 24 hours of trying to you know uh, rally the masses to support the university. Um, and of course, uh, we have plans, you know, we spend months planning out our communications in all the different channels, an email being one of them, lovely um, broad-based messages right down to the college and units, the program areas, which is all great. And then we, we, you know, we're ramping up for the day, and what happens, but a Northeaster's coming. So, oh boy, it's really going to come and hit, hit the East Coast which includes us, and uh, at that point in time, we have to kind of go into a little bit of overdrive and figure out, okay, what does this mean for us as far as communication? Because we have a Northeaster. We could have anywhere from um, outages, right? We could not have electricity, which means we're not sending emails. People can't do their thing. So we spent a a nice bit of time sitting together in, in a room trying to come up with a plan A and a plan B. And, and since we're talking about email specifically, we actually created a uh, scenario of a, a good a good snowstorm. I'm gonna share a screen with you here. Um, a, second. a great snowstorm and not so good snowstorm. And what would we say in our email um, if all things went well, but what if what would we say if it didn't go well? So we had this huge plan don't really need to read the details but it was a pivoting point as to maybe what we had written prior to knowing we're going to have a snowstorm to now and how did that affect um, our engagement so here is a screenshot of an email on the right-hand side that we actually was part of the uh, plan a if you will of the uh, email campaign that we created And this particular email was just to engage our alumni to take a look at where we were at in the day. It was at 6 p.m. at night. Um, All the college and units had been communicating with um, all of their constituents from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. And 6 p.m. came our time that we would um, try to communicate. But one of our main things was in this particular email was to look at our leaderboard. Of course, you can see on the right-hand side, we also have a giving button. Um, But it wasn't really the main thing because we've been asking that call to action all day from the college and units. And um, what we decided to do, which I think is really important for everyone creating campaigns to think about, is about the content. Um, Here we were faced with a snowstorm. What's going to happen? What should we say and do? And we tried to take a step back and look at, well, what would everyone be wanting to know? Maybe not so much about how much um, we had raised or how much participation we had at this time, but they're probably going to be really wondering what Ithaca is looking like at this time (laughs) in the middle of a snowstorm. So one of the main things that we did was somewhat change our message to uh, talk about that and our subject line, which was, I think, very impactful. Um, The subject line was, there is heavy accumulation on campus. Who doesn't want to see that? The email actually had a quick uh, um, GIF in here, which then led you to a video that actually translated into showing Cornell in a pretty little spring, and then all of a sudden, boom, here comes the snow. So that was a fun engagement part. But what we could see over here when we saw the data was that actually, thinking about our people and what they might be interested in actually had the biggest impact because we can see here our open rate and you saw in the previous slides most of our average open rates range around the 24 to 26 percent this got 45 percent and the clicks and the unique clicks double of what we had been doing that day um, 26 percent now interesting and the fact that um, people were clicking to see what we were doing but not necessarily giving off of this email but that's okay that's not what we asked them to do right our call to action was to see the heavy stone but that was engagement to drive them right to our our giving pages Um, we had really low unsubscribe rates so to us This was a really huge win. Um, The performance on this email shocked us all. Um, Throughout the day, the entire campaign, of course, one of our other themes was to segment appropriately and not be spamming everyone. And in this particular case, this group um, was one of our main segments and trying to control the volume. And from all indications, this really worked. People weren't getting 100 emails in a day, (laughs) even though sometimes it might feel that way, and really segmented just to them.
0: So it sounds like you you were attuned to the context in which this email was going out in the sense that the storm was coming on through. Um, You thought about the audience in terms of what they might be interested in, in terms of you get an email from Cornell, why should I open it? Well, there's a huge blizzard going, and then In this particular case, you're not losing sleep over the low conversion rate because that wasn't the goal of the email to start with.
2: That's right. That's right. It was more engagement, not conversion. And we were okay with that. We just had no idea that, oh, okay, we kind of aligned everything and it worked. Woo! And uh, so that was a win for us.
0: So in terms of how this win is impacting your thinking about other emails and other email campaigns, can you share with us your thinking on that?
2: Yeah. The next phase, if you will, of us, you know, we have some best practices set in place, but now we need to really start focusing on that content strategy that some, as large as Cornell is, we have some program areas that are really good at this, like annual giving. Of course, they have to be good at this, but there's other program areas that aren't. So we are really trying to have conversations around content strategy, and giving day campaign was a perfect one to really get into that with all of our college units, all of our staff, is to helping them to think that through. Um, you know, it's, it's not okay just to say, um, just to send an email out from CALS and, and, and putting their name in the, in the front line and a very kind of not very impactful or informative subject line. You really have to think about that audience making sure that you're being clear about what you're asking them to do. And not just informing them, because if you're going to inform someone, that's great, but you are probably not going to get conversions out of that, right? Because you haven't asked them to do anything. So, and making sure that when they get to the email, that the content actually matches what you got them to—that subject line that got them to open it—and that's gonna, you know, trying to educate people like they need to match, and and then that is gonna make people take a, take an action.
0: Great, thank you. Mirko, to your eye, um, what, what sort of insights do you think people can extract from, from successes like this um, that they can then implement in such a way that they elevate their entire program?
1: Sure, I think Debbie just gave us a great example of how to do that. So you have an email that overperformed, I would say, and then you take a look at, OK, what caused that? Well, in this case, the subject line is a clear reason that the open rate was what it was. Uh, So I think everybody can take that same concept and apply it to their institution. Look at emails that have the highest uh, open rates and that have have the highest click-to-open rates um, across emails that you've sent over the last, let's say, four months. And then look at those with a group of three or five people um, and see what caused that in those emails. How much of an impact was the subject line? Did you change the subject line in your e-newsletter instead of just saying October e-newsletter from XYZ institution and start highlighting some of the stories that are in there? Did you use the pre-header a little bit differently to drive opens? Uh, Look at the things that you've done and then start to identify what may be the differences and then set a plan for using that moving forward Uh, and also try different things. So I just touched on things like changing your subject line for e-newsletter communications, using that pre-header option differently. If you don't try different things with your email communications, if you don't try to vary when you send emails, you won't know if things, certain things resonate with your population or with if they don't. Uh, so those are types of things that you can find out from just looking at some of those stats. Um, it might also lead you to see that you have too much content in an email. Uh, that you're sending because you're not getting those click-throughs. So to me, one of the main goals of email is to get people to your site. Um, hopefully to complete the call-to-action call that's in the email, but also just get them to the site so that they can see the other engagement opportunities. You shouldn't be delivering all of the content that they need in the email communication because then they don't have any reason to, to take the call-to-action or to go to your site to read more. So it could um, you could see something like that when you start looking uh, at some of this in-depth. Um, Again, think about adjusting messaging to fit the segment that you're working with. Debbie's um, example was perfect for that. Uh, So take a step back and think about, okay, who are we talking to? What resonates with them? Uh, If you're communicating with a young alumni population, you probably want a different uh, communication style than if you're sending something to graduates who graduated 40 or 50 years ago. Uh, The same type of messaging doesn't really work. and by changing things up, then you can start to see what, what works for the groups by looking at these metrics.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Um, we're going to pivot now. And we are going to shift from talking about this sort of micro analysis of individual emails um, to something that I'm, I'm really excited we're going to be able to feature here because I don't think I've seen discussion of this particular type of thing before. Um, so last year, Cornell and iModules undertook uh, a study of the performance of the entire email ecosystem, um, looking at almost an entire year's worth of, of email across all the program areas. And Debbie, could we start off um, by your sharing with the audience uh, why Cornell wanted to do this?
2: Yes. Um, well, as I said, you know, we kind of re or realigned some of our staff and made an email team. And at the same time, we began to go, huh, We see we're we're sending out a ton of email. This is really great. But are we being effective? Because we're, you know, we've got some unsubscribes like everyone else. But are our emails effective? What can we gauge ourselves against? What should we be focusing on? So we have a lot of questions, Um, not to mention volume concerns. So I'm going to share my screen and just show you some exercises that that I went through um, to kind of compare and go, okay, Um, a group of us got together and we said, okay, what's important to us at this point in time? Unsubscribe rates, open rates, click to open rates is kind of where we started. And how do we rate against the rest of the world? Um, You know, I use the word industry in this particular slide, but that is other educational and nonprofit institutions that I looked at said, where are we? How are we doing? Um, And in that case, I'm like, okay, we're kind of high in the unsubscribe rate compared to the rest of the world. Why? Um, Average open rates, okay, we're not doing too bad. But click to open rates, okay, now we're not doing very good. So what is it can we do? And I didn't feel as if looking at single emails was the way to go. So we reached out to iModules and ask them to help us. Um, Some other things that we could do on our own was look at our volume. And we knew, we could tell iModules has a nice little um, dashboard that tells us how many emails we're sending in a year, but some of these data points, as in the average email per constituent, we did not have. And I felt like that was really important, and I knew I couldn't do it. Someone was gonna have to get into the data in iModules to tell us that, what we could see was how many emails we're sending up a year, a month, a week. And we could see, you know, the days and times and and the the fact that we're sending 27 uh, emails 27 days per month. Oh, my gosh, is that should be living. So I reached out to iModules and said, can you help us? Uh, We really need to get a handle on what we're doing well and what we're not doing well.
0: And it feels like you also needed to just get a handle on what you're doing, period, right? Because without iModules assistance, there was no way to...
2: to no way to tell, right? Because what am I going to do? You know, print out all these all these reports and try to edit? Okay, it, it was clearly going to be manual. We really needed iModules to look at us um, on a very top-level view of everything.
0: <laughs> so, Mirko, then you get this request from Cornell. Um, how did things progress on, on your side as you began to to devise a plan to tackle this project?
1: Sure. So luckily, we have a measurement and data analyst who does exactly this type of work. Otherwise, I'm not sure what we would have done. Uh, I would certainly would not be the person pulling all of this data together. But so, uh, I mean, in talking to, to Debbie and her team, the first thing that we wanted to do is really understand what, what these guys were looking for. What would be helpful to them? What the questions that they were trying to answer? Uh, Debbie just alluded to some of those. Uh, and then, then also think through next steps with that. So, okay, once, once we deliver this report, how can it be useful to you and how can you, it help you do your job better so that what we deliver to Cornell actually uh, has a, a first benefit of just informing, but then there's also that, that next benefit of helping them to adjust uh, communications moving forward based on the data that, that they're getting from us. So I think those are the things that we wanted to keep in mind. Uh, as we started the project. And so then we actually did that deep dive of data. So we pulled the 25 million emails that Cornell sent during the last year at the constituent level down and, and started to analyze those. And if anybody's sitting there listening to the episode and almost fell off, their chair. Um, That is a lot of email communications, um, but Cornell also has all of their units and programs using iModules to send emails, which may not be the case uh, for your institution. So these weren't just alumni and uh, annual giving emails by any stretch. We wanted to look at a number of different areas within how those 25 million emails were sent. Uh, Things like looking at it at the unit or program level uh, so that Debbie and her team could understand whether certain units or programs were doing better than others, whether there perhaps was more affinity to certain units or programs. Uh, So I think one of the goals was just identifying more about people's affinity, because then that can help you with segmentation and can help you understand what segments you might want to invest more time in versus perhaps segments that that may not respond to a a college um, communication. Uh, So uh, thinking about things like that, uh, looking at uh, emails by specific author, uh, as well as by what we term category or type of of email. Uh, So event emails versus uh, e-newsletter communications versus solicitations to look at trends there um, and really to give uh, Cornell a, a very global, comprehensive view of what's happening in email, but in an easily digestible format. So I think that was the other key element is that um, if we provide something to them, we want them to be able to understand it and use it themselves to dig into the data. And so we developed a visualization, um, which I think Debbie has uh, in a slide or two later, uh, so you can get a sense of of what that looks like. Uh, But we didn't just want to deliver a report, we wanted the team to be able to truly benefit from it. So I think that was our starting point uh, when we were looking at this project.
0: So Mirko, having completed the project, what were your initial impressions of the data and uh, sort of ideas for initial recommendations.
1: Sure, so let me see if I can get this to work. I'm trying to share my screen. Um, There we go. Hopefully that works. Uh, So let me just walk you through a couple of these slides. Uh, So again, when I first looked at this data, I was thinking, okay, Cornell is sending a ton of email. Uh, And I wasn't sure what that would look like. But so when we dove in, the story is a little bit different than what I might have expected. Uh, I have to say Cornell has a a pretty high open rate. I think that was on Debbie's earlier slide. They're at around 26%. That's actually above the average that we see for four-year private institutions, which is 25%. Um, And four-year publics are about 19% in an analysis that we did of the schools that we work with. Uh, but the first thing that we saw is is how important email addresses are to, to Cornell. Uh, so, I mean, if you look at that first uh, stats, 72% of constituents who have an email address open at least one email during that one-year period. I mean, the quality of the email addresses that Cornell has are is pretty good uh, because three-fourths of all constituents are opening email. Um, but then Cornell only has email for 43% of their constituents, which actually is relatively high compared to some of the schools we work with, but there's definitely opportunity uh, to add email addresses. Uh, And then when you look at the data, there were about 5,000 people who had email activity in the period, but who no longer had a valid email address. So those 5,000 gave Cornell an easy starting point to update their, uh, to try to get an updated email address. And again, when you have over 70% of constituents opening at least one email during a period, the more email addresses you can get, the better, the more likely they are to engage with you. I about reach rate earlier, and that's the percentage of, of who open at least one email. And in this case, we looked at it on a quarterly basis. Uh, and what we found is that alumni uh, opened a high percentage of emails at least once a quarter. Students were also very engaged in communications. And then uh, Cornell also tracks friends, and and friends had the lowest reach rate. They also had the fewest number of emails being sent, and their email addresses might not be as easily updated. So there may be reasons for that. But these were some takeaways for Cornell just to think about in terms of how they're communicating to these groups. And then we looked at uh, all of these groups separately. So this is just an example of uh, the alumni population and we stack the open rate, the average emails that were being sent and then the click to open rate on top of each other. And the reason for that is when you look at where the arrow is, there's some interesting trends. So first of all, the open rate was relatively steady during the period that the average emails uh, were much lower during the summer months and that email communication spiked in the month of April, which was the day of giving that uh, Debbie had alluded to. But you see an interesting trend in the click to open rate. So it was much higher in August specifically, but also in July, when less emails were being sent, and significantly lower in April, when there was a lot more communication. So this could be an indication that actually reducing email volume a little bit may lead to um, higher engagement with the emails being sent. Again, it's it's a point for Cornell to think about. We also want to look at send times, like I mentioned earlier. And again, this is a, a visualization, so you can actually drill into these. But um, on the left hand side, you see email sends by day and hour. And on the right side, you see the open rates by day and hour. And it's color coded. So the darker the color, uh, the higher the number or the percentage. And the goal here is for Cornell to have an easy way to see whether there's opportunity to change when emails are being sent. So what you'd want to look for is, on the right side, uh, a deeper blue color in areas where there is a lighter green color on the left because that may indicate that, oh, there's an opportunity to send more emails because the open rate is currently higher during those periods. So when I look at that quickly, Saturday catches my eye because there's a lot of darker blue on Saturdays. And when I jump over to the left side, a lot of Saturday has a lighter green. so, there may be an opportunity actually to send more email communications on Saturdays than on some other uh, times of uh, or days of the week. Again, it's something Cornell may want to consider trying. That's sort of atypical. We don't usually see higher open rates on Saturdays, but every constituency is a little bit different and everybody's
0: email volume is different. So, looking at it that, also it looks looks like the, the killer play is the Saturday 4 a.m. strategy.
1: Exactly. Where, if you look on the left side, two emails were sent, or two people received an email during that point. Um, So probably not the best time when you look at the data in detail, Um, but I think that's a great point, Andrew, because it it points to needing to look at uh, all of the data, right? Not just the open rate, but also looking at how many emails were sent uh, at that specific period. Otherwise, you would be doing exactly that. You would be sending all of your emails at 4 a.m. on Saturday, and nobody would be looking at them because it only uh, was a population of two people who got the email. Uh, We did also look at from names. Uh, So we had actually done some previous research looking at uh, the from name being used and found that if an individual's name is being used as the from name, either in conjunction with the institution name or instead of the institution name, the open rates are much higher. And this was also the case for Cornell. Uh, you can see there is an open rate of 32.5% if an individual's name was attached to the uh, from name, compared to 25% for the institution name. Uh, and that's pretty consistent with what we've seen across the other schools that we work with. Uh, so if you're sending out emails that just say Cornell Alumni in Development or uh, XYZ University, uh, putting a, a first and last name to that and then comma XYZ University Uh, may lead to a higher open rate. The other thing we saw for Cornell is that the the volunteer groups uh, tend to have a slightly higher open rate uh, than uh, the overall institution ones, but there was still opportunity to uh, likely personalize those with uh, individual from names and then highlighting the regional group or the class year group. Unsubscribes, Debbie mentioned, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this since we talked about it a little bit already, but what we did see with Cornell's volume is that uh, if somebody received more than 30 emails per month, the unsubscribes really shot up dramatically. Uh, Now, ideally, you don't have a lot of people receiving 30 emails in one month because that's basically one email a day, Uh, but even those who received 20 to 29 emails had a, a relatively higher unsubscribe rate. So those are now things that Debbie and her team can take back uh, to see how they can adjust who they're emailing. We looked at uh, downstream activity. Uh, so Debbie alluded to this when she was talking about conversions earlier with the, uh, the day of giving email. But conversions only look at people or individuals who click on the email and then take that action immediately. What they're missing is people who uh, then later choose to take the action, having been reminded by the email, but maybe they end up clicking on something else or going to YouTube or whatever, and then come back to your site and and make that gift. And uh, you've lost the tracking uh, because they're not doing it directly from the email communication. So for this, we looked at, uh, of anybody who opened an email, did they quote unquote convert uh, within a seven day period? And that's the stats that you see for event activity and donation activity. And this helps um, for you to talk a little bit about the ROI or the the ROE, so to speak, the return on engagement, because you now have some stats around uh, how emails are performing that look at the broader activity of individuals and, and what they do, not only from that specific email, but what they do over the next few days. And while you don't know that the email directly had an impact, if they open the email, and we only looked at people who opened the email, uh, and then took the action, you're gotta, it's likely that the email helped contribute to the action. Again, it's not black and white like we talked about. This is more the art side of, of the things. Uh, but again, it's indicative data.
0: Fantastic. Um, so then, uh, you get this report. Um, how did, how did the email team respond? How did the program areas respond? Um, and, and how are you using this, this much more deep insight into what you're actually doing? Uh, what sort of decisions are you making based upon this? Or what sort of questions are you asking?
2: Yeah, what we did was um, when iModules came, we actually invited all program area leaders to come into the room and listen to this presentation. And I'm going to share uh, my screen with you again, and I'm going to show you the few screens that seem to have the biggest impact. And when this screen was shown, everybody kind of wanted to pay attention. Okay, how is our open rates and our click rates for each of our constituent types? You know. Marco had already kind of said, well, friends are this and alumni are this, but when you put it up on a screen like this where you can actually see numbers, people start paying attention. So this was really great. Um, And it was good for us to say, well, what's our average open rate um, and click rate as a whole at at the top level, so then you could kind of see, okay, down into the weeds. And the next screen um, was an even more exciting uh, we show our iModule showed us by college and unit how were people performing. What what was the email performance by program area? This this one really got everyone's attention, and uh, some people were happy, some people not so happy. But I think it helps us say, well, okay, if this one particular group is doing better than the others, what are they doing that is better? I'm hoping that we can kind of come to some conclusion that that people that have a better better email performance as a program area is because they're actually kind of following some of the best practices that we have set out um, right down to good calls to action good subject lines not long emails um, and uh, clear calls to action but this really got people to pay attention the next kind of a third third uh, wheel that made people pay attention and and want to start engaging with this data was all about the unsubscribes. As Marco said, you know, it's not like everybody is getting uh, 30 to 40 emails, um, but there is a percentage of people that are, and when we did look at our unsubscribe rate in comparison to kind of the industry average, we went, oh, maybe we should pay attention a little bit more. Um, so this was quite impactful, and, and
0: that was also useful because you had plenty of anecdotal evidence, right? That alumni, your constituents, felt that email volume was a was a problem.
2: Yes, and, so and suddenly you
0: have you have evidence illustrating that yes, it is a problem, and there's a cost associated with not being more disciplined about volume.
2: Absolutely, volume was one of the top things that first started um, kind of piquing my interest a year and a half ago as I knew we were sending a lot of email and I knew we weren't always being thoughtful about the segments and the content etc but I couldn't prove it right so having iModules actually dig into our data could prove the fact that we had certain segments of our alumni base that were complaining saying I'm getting too much email some of them were being vocal with us and some of them were just hitting the unsubscribe button we could see that uh, so this really spoke to actually what's happening. No more kind of, oh, somebody said this and somebody thinks this. This was hard data that we could lean on and go, okay, we can really identify some areas that we need to focus on. Because, you know, like anything, there's lots to focus on, but what is the most important? And Alumni Friends friends Development did not know that answer before this report came along. What are those things that we should pay attention to? So the recommendations that came from iModules is where we are going to start. Uh, He mentioned the from name, volume has always been at the top of our list, the send time grid to pay attention to. It isn't always, you know, Tuesday at noon, that there are other uh, hours on the clock that might be more or more effective. Clear calls to action. As you saw in the very beginning of this presentation, we had an email sample I showed you that was very lengthy, a lot of content, kind of rambling on. So we need to help people um, create real content strategy so that they can have clear calls to action in their subject line and in their message. So that's not just kind of information. Newsletters are great and they have their purpose, but not every email should be um, a newsletter with a ton of information.
0: And it feels like you're in a much better position to have this advice stick if you have actual data indicating that people that follow the best practices
2: Correct. have Correct. greater
0: success with their email than vice versa.
2: That's right. And so our next phase is actually taking these recommendations, um, putting some people together, putting some heads together, and actually making some uh, planning around these things and uh, a timeline to try to implement some changes as a whole so I so that we can um, begin to improve not that we're in a bad place but we don't want to fall back we want to be on a path of improvement to make sure that we take care of this channel and that we don't lose this channel as a nice engagement place
0: thanks Deb uh, Mirko I've got a very specific question from Phil Senate on Twitter, um, which you may be able to answer off the top of your head, or maybe you need to follow up with it. How can you export the timestamp from when an email was sent from iModules?
1: You should be able to go into the email reporting grid. This would be the old version or the the current active version, not the beta version, of the email reporting grid. And then there is an um, Excel op- actually, there's an export to CSV option there. Uh, and if you just select that export to CSV, that's going to give you all of the email data that you see in the grid, uh, including the date and timestamp of when the email was sent.
0: Well answered.
1: If that's not correct, I will have my team, first of all, give me a hard time about it, um, but follow up with you. But I am 95% sure that is where it's located.
0: All right, Phil, we hope that that uh, gives you the information that you needed. Um, so Deb, thank you so much for that overview of how you and your team at Cornell are thinking about using this data. Mm -hmm. Mirko, I'd like to sort of give the last word to you here. Um, Do you see this type of holistic ecosystem analysis as as becoming more and more of a a best practice um, as people try to optimize their performance with email?
1: I certainly hope so, and it's certainly something we're we're getting more and more questions about, and it makes sense. I mean, I think Debbie has laid out why not only it made sense for Cornell, but hopefully you've heard why it would make sense for any institution. Andrew talked about it at the beginning of the episode, email is here to stay. The deals that you sent three years ago would work today. Uh, and the more you can segment and personalize and identify uh, specific groups to communicate with differently, the more your emails will uh, get that get them to take that call to action or or get them to your site or or engage with your emails. And uh, with budgets shrinking, email is becoming increasingly the engagement tool for for a lot of the institutions. Uh, So anything you can do to better understand what's happening uh, within emails for your constituents, I think, is beneficial. Uh, So I certainly hope that the field starts to move more and more into this type of analysis because it, it can only help, um, maybe not this year, but maybe in a couple of years. Again, depending on, on where you are uh, in terms of how you're uh, engaging with emails. Uh, one thing I do just wanna mention to everyone is that you are also the experts about this in a way. You're the ones who understand your constituency. So compared to faculty members at your institution and even compared to, don't pe- tell people I said this, but you're a uh, university marketing communications team overall you know your alumni you know your constituents uh, so own that and and take advantage of that and have these best practice conversations with uh departments or units on campus Uh, And then they will begin to see you as the experts as well. And it's just going to build a more cohesive relationship. Um, It may take a little bit of work to get there, uh, but again, in the end, you're the one who owns uh, these individuals from sort of the the engagement uh, and relationship perspective. uh, And you're also the ones who know the most um, about emailing and communicating with them, I would say. So take advantage of that and and don't be afraid to share uh, across campus uh, better ways of maybe talking to these constituents. Andrew, you're on mute, I believe. I'm not on mute
0: anymore, thank you. Uh, So thank you so much. Um, I think that's really good advice. And we are now at the end of our hour. Uh, Debbie Merko, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insight and expertise on this topic. Um, Thanks, as always, to our program sponsors, iModules, and mStoner. And that is it for today. We will see you next time on Advancement Live.